This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. We've got our eyes on primaries voting underway in New York and Kentucky, even though uh, voting still should probably be not be underway during this uh, pandemic that we're experiencing. But considering that federal government and state governments have given up on trying to combat the virus, voting is underway in New York and Kentucky Two Democratic primaries where Establishment Democrats, milk toast Democrats, terrible foreign policy Democrats might finally get their comeuppance. Talking about Elliot Engel, Congressman Elliot Engel in New York, who uh, is in a tough primary fight against Jamal Bowman. And in Kentucky, where Amy McGrath is vying to be the Democratic nominee to take on Senator Mitch McConnell. She looked like the favorite last year. Uh, Her campaign has imploded, and now uh, progressive Charles Booker seems to have the uh, inside lane in Kentucky. Sam, uh, you you care to make any predictions on how any of this might shake out today? Oh, well, uh, predictions, predictions in me don't always go out, go go down so well. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and say that. Engel is going to lose and Bowman is going to beat Engel. And I, uh, you know, my heart is telling me Booker is going to win in Kentucky. And half my brain is also telling me that. And the other half is telling me that people are uh, worried about shenanigans in Kentucky over polling places and whether or not there'll be enough of them and uh, whether or not people are getting their absentee ballots on time. So I am loath to make a full prediction there, but I do think that Jamal Bowman will defeat Elliot Engel. Uh, That's my big prediction. I also predict that AOC will win re-election throwing that out there as an extra, just to make myself even more vulnerable in the uh, in the event that she loses, I don't think she's expected to lose. I think if she was expected to lose, we probably would have heard yeah. a lot more about that from the national media, and they would be just chomping at the bit for that to happen. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, I think AOC is expected to win. Um, hopefully, Jamal Bowman is able to knock off Elliot Engel. Uh, yeah, Kentucky is going to be tough. I mean, we were we were in the DMs with our, our our man on the ground in Kentucky, Tom Sexton, the Trillbilly Workers Party, and uh, we're going to have Tom on this week's Means Morning News on Thursday to break all this down after voting. But uh, you know, he was telling us about the McConnell machine down in Kentucky, and the McConnell machine might be at work trying to screw over uh, Booker here, thinking that McGrath might be the easier opponent. Um, so, I don't know. I can't trust anything that's happening down there. No, it does. It does seem though that McGrath, uh, her campaign has imploded spectacularly, and that Booker is attracting all sorts of endorsements from people within the state, and uh, that 
combined with the um, McGrath support from establishment liberals up and down the country who seem to only back her because in their mind they think that's the best Kentucky can do in a very condescending way. And uh, it all seems to be going uh, uh, bottom up. That's right. We've got an update on the, uh, on the New York fireworks. Well, nationwide, I should say, not just in New York. Uh, the fireworks conspiracy. Um, de Blasio sending in the cops, huh? Yeah, uh, congrats to everyone who tear their sh- t- tore their shirt about this conspiracy. <laughs> does that I include mean, us? I, that does include us, maybe a little bit. I, I was... Uh, I was indulging in it. I wasn't going like full throated. This is a psyop like some people were. And we very, uh, we noted yesterday that there, the, the, so the socioeconomic factors were far more compelling. Nevertheless, uh, de Blasio has heard your calls and he is sending out the cops, a 40 law enforcement task force, including 12, uh, fire cops, I shouldn't. I don't know if I should call them fire cops just yet. Uh, FDNY, and not only that, but and this is according to BuzzFeed news reporter Carolyn Haskins. But this is an operation that will involve stings and undercover buys, which oh uh, just really fucking sucks. They're basically this hysteria means they are going to send uh, many many police officers after black and brown kids who simply want to buy off some fireworks to shoot them off. Yeah. The NYPD is going to probably kill like three people over this. And this is a disaster. All right. I don't, I don't know. Did, did, was I too derisive there about the, uh, the conspiracy uh, mongers? I mean, there is, there is good logic to it, right? Like cops are crooked. uh, Cops do protection racket shit. Um, well, we'll never know. know. I mean, the point is we'll never know because if the cops are going to investigate the the issue of the New York City fireworks, it's not like they're going to find themselves lighting off the fireworks. So, uh, true. Uh, of course, we'll never that, know. That is also true. We'll never know, but uh, you know, most likely there was no conspiracy uh, at play here. It, it it did seem like most of the. Um, loudest voices that were pro-conspiracy were some of the usual suspects who complain about fireworks every year. But anyway, yeah. at risk of showing my ass more than I already have, uh, I'm just going to say all I've said on this. It's Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. Here's the news. Public health officials testified before the House Energy and Commerce Committee on Tuesday. Here was Dr. Anthony Fauci describing the latest surge in COVID-19 cases. Uh, If you look at how we've been hit, we've been hit badly. Now seeing a disturbing surge of infections that looks like it's a combination. But one of the things is an increase in community spread. The daily infection rate has dramatically increased in the U.S. in recent days with as many as 30,000 new people contracting the virus per day, which is almost at the same level as seen during what was considered the height of the pandemic in the U.S. a few months ago. The only difference between now and then is that then states were shutting down and enforcing social distancing guidelines, 
Now states are opening back up. In 26 of them that have begun the process of reopening, infection rates continue to climb, including in heavily populated states like California, Texas, and Florida. The number of people who've died of the coronavirus in the U.S. has now topped 120,000. Further hampering efforts to control the pandemic is the drastic shortage in virus contact tracers. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Robert Redfield told lawmakers that the U.S. desperately needs more contact tracers, that it's managed to increase the number of tracers from 6,000 in January to 28,000 now, but that that is still well short of the 100,000 needed to effectively surveil the virus. Lawmakers also quizzed officials on their interactions with the president. Trump over the weekend claimed that he had ordered a slowdown in testing in a bid, according to him, to prevent the number of COVID-19 cases from increasing. The White House claimed that Trump was joking, yet speaking to reporters on Tuesday, Trump said he doesn't kid. Well, all the witnesses at today's hearing, including doctors Fauci and Redfield, testified that they had not been instructed by the president to cut back on testing. More Trump administration xenophobia. The Department of Homeland Security is publishing a final rule this week, which will make it harder for people to apply for asylum. The regulation, which is set to appear in tomorrow's Federal Register, was first proposed in November, as we noted then. It would extend the time that asylum applicants have to wait before being eligible to work legally in the U.S. from half a year to a full year. It would also eliminate the ability of immigration officers to expedite the asylum process for certain applicants. And the proposed regulation would also make it harder in other ways to apply for asylum by tightening rules on applicants who attempt unauthorized entry or have criminal records. The initiative would additionally force applicants for work authorization to be subject to biometrics collection fingerprinting, photographs, etc., and for their troubles, they would also have to pay a, quote, biometric services fee. I love having to uh, give over my biometric information to the FBI and then having to pay a fee for it, too. (laughs) DHS noted that the majority of public comments about the rule were critical. That's a relief. Only a small minority of comments supported the agency's actions. Some of the negative comments accused DHS of being motivated by racial animus toward Latin Americans, but only because of everything President Trump has said and done in his political career. DHS obviously denied this. The agency claimed the rule is necessary, quote, to remove the incentives for aliens to come to the United States solely for economic reasons. So uh, basically what that means is if you're in a Latin American country and it's a failing state led by a corrupt U.S. ally, You are considered an economic migrant uh, and therefore ineligible for asylum. Despite the fact Trump has been openly racist toward Latin Americans, it probably wouldn't matter during judicial review. You may recall that the Supreme Court upheld Trump's Muslim ban, saying that his bureaucrats followed the Administrative Procedures Act, so who cares if Trump campaigned on banning all Muslims from entering the United States? If judges do, however, want to find evidence of racial animus in the rule proposal itself, the proposal mentions wanting to reduce migration at the southern border over and over again, which means it's pretty overt about wanting to deny benefits to Latin Americans. The rule is set to take effect two months from tomorrow, absent legal challenges, 
It comes amid a slew of other rules aimed at cutting off the U.S. to asylum seekers. One such proposal flagged by the New York Times earlier this month would, quote, raise the standard of proof for migrants hoping to obtain asylum and allow immigration judges to deny applications for protection without giving migrants an opportunity to testify in court. Moving on, where my Posada sat, curious paragraph was flagged in President Trump's recent budget blueprint that suggests the government might believe aliens exist. The language was first flagged by the Black Vault. The president's proposed budget includes examples of wasteful spending, as described by the administration, that should be cut. One section provides examples of such wasteful spending, including this, quote, American taxpayers deserve a government that is not spending millions to prepare religions for discovering extraterrestrial life. The document stresses that this is indeed a real example of wasteful spending. The Black Vault also found language from the 2017 congressional record in the Senate in which the same exact program is discussed. It's described as a $1 million NASA project. Related, in an interview over the weekend with his fail son, Donald Trump Jr., The president was asked about declassifying information about aliens. Trump said that he won't talk about it, but what he knows is, quote, very interesting and that Roswell is, quote, a very interesting place. Pretty obvious that if aliens do exist and if they've made contact, the ones who are in the know in our government sure as hell would not tell the dipshit president. Finally, new research confirms what we all know. Law enforcement in this country is permitted to systematically kill people, and it makes a mockery of the U.S. government's stated support for human rights. Academics at the University of Chicago took a look at rules governing lethal use of force at the 20 largest police departments in the U.S. They concluded, quote, none of the policies are constrained by a state law that complies with human rights law and standards, And too many police departments allow the use of lethal force in response to a non-lethal threat, thereby sanctioning unnecessary and disproportionate use of force. For their standard on human rights law, the researchers cited UN rules stating that lethal force by law enforcement should be a last resort when there is a clear risk to the lives of others or the police officer themselves. And that is far from the case in cities across the United States. Here are some examples. Austin, Texas, permits use of lethal force for, quote, potential risk of serious bodily injury or death to another person. Keyword there is potential. There's pretty much always potential risk for serious bodily injury. Uh, I don't know. I might fall off my chair and hit my head right now. I guess uh, a cop should run and kick in the door and, and shoot the chair to, uh, to stop it. Potentiality is a dangerous thing. Right. San Diego permits firearm use, quote, to apprehend a fleeing suspect if there is a probable cause to believe the suspect has committed a felony involving the infliction or threatened infliction of death or serious bodily injury. In Denver, Colorado has similar rules. This, uh, I guess, sort of dovetails uh, to what we were talking about yesterday and, um, and, and, and the severity of threats and how uh, law should react to them. Like, for example, if you're just online uh, telling someone you're going you're gonna to wrap them up in a blanket and, and shove them down a hill, uh, that's, on paper, that's a threat. But <laughs> come on, you know? Come don't the people, fuck on. Don't people do that for fun? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yes. Uh, meanwhile, Indianapolis allows lethal force, quote, to prevent the commission of a forcible felony. Um, n- no elaboration there. Just, I, you know, I guess if you're about to throw a rock through a window or something uh, and go in and steal some stuff, an Indianapolis cop can just rock up and shoot you. Obviously, the correct rules don't automatically stop police from killing people. New York City has last resort rules, and cops there kill people all the time. Plus, courts in the U.S. have ruled that deadly force is fine when used by, quote, an objectively reasonable officer. In other words, it was fine for the NYPD to fire 41 rounds and kill Amadou Diallo for reaching for his wallet because policing is a paranoid and racist endeavor. And that's just what an objectively reasonable officer would have done. And that concludes the newscast for today. That music means it's time to move on to the poetry portion of the show where all new subscribers on Patreon get their own haiku written for them and read on the air. We've got one poem to read for today. This one goes out to Dalton, the cowboy poet laureate. Replace all statues depicting the presidents with tetherball poles. Thank you, Dalton, the cowboy poet laureate. Yes, thank you, Dalton. Thank you uh, for listening to the show, friends. No newscast tomorrow. Instead, we've got a brand new chip chat with Chip Gibbons where we talk about the Joe Biden campaign's Uh, I shouldn't say lurch to the right on foreign policy, considering it's always been pretty conservative on foreign policy, but seems to try to be outflanking Trump to the right on foreign policy. We also talk a little bit about John Bolton's new book. Thursday, we've got a brand new Means Morning News. We're going to break down the elections in New York and Kentucky. As I said, we've got Tom Sexton from the Trillbillies joining us on Means Morning News this Thursday. So check it out. And then we're back with a brand new garbage can show for subscribers on Friday. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.